You're listening to the Soul Care Podcast. I'm Elaine Hamilton, the founder of the Soul Care House, a group of therapists working in community with a shared perspective about the path towards healing and change. This podcast is about creating a space for real conversations about real life struggles, a place where you can gather insight and support for issues that are relevant to you and the people you love. So sit back, put your feet up, and let's talk. Hey, friends. Uh, I'm here with Charlie again, per usual. Per usual. Hello, everybody. And we thought with Mother's Day approaching, we might just go ahead and do a podcast about parenting. There's so many things to talk about, uh, but we thought we would just get one started with um, hopefully some validation, some support, some tips. And we just want to preface the whole thing by saying parenting is so hard. Hardest job on the planet. Right? Like, I have a hard time coming up with anything else that is as hard as the daily grind of trying to love on and nurture and be there for little human beings. Absolutely. Tough job. Super tough job. And I'm, uh, just to clarify, I am not a parent, but Elaine, you you are. And how many kids do you have? I have two. Um, My kids are in their 20s now, so they're real grown-ups and... Um, I should actually say I have three because my daughter recently married, and so I'm pretty excited mm-hmm. to have a third. So I'm waiting for number four. Hopefully, you know, in the next couple of years, I'll get one of those too. Not so, to give birth to number four. No, I'm real done with that. <laughs> <laughs> but yours, for your son to get married. Yes. Nice. Yes. Okay. Well, so I'm going to be interviewing you kind of like we did last time. Great. And asking you questions about not only your professional, but your personal experience, right? Okay. And so I think our hope is that you can kind of uh, shine some light, and I'll add in here and there, but um, I think really to hear from your personal and professional experience of of how parents can do this well and Mm -hmm. and what kind of advice we can give them to make this journey, which often lasts 18 to 25 years of helping really raise somebody mm-hmm. uh, into a, a healthy adult. Right, right. So if you had to kind of start with just like, what are some of the, what, what, how would you just lay the foundation? Like, yeah. what do you want parents to know? Yeah. I mean, I, I would start with this idea that the good news is that you don't have to do this perfectly. Um, in fact, you know, when I think about sort of our, our early years of parenting our kids, things being Uh, very challenging for us in our marriage and in our other parts of our lives. And, you know, sometimes I'm real shocked that my kids are not selling drugs on a corner somewhere. So it's like, you know, I, I, what I always say is like, I think it comes down to loving your kids fiercely, Mm. not perfectly, but fiercely. So Mm -hmm. like staying in the game with them, I think is ultimately the, the big thing to do. Um, because it can't be done perfectly. You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up every day. So can I make peace with that? Can I just make peace with this idea that there'll be a lot of mistakes and some of those mistakes will leave marks on my kids and um, some of those things will have to be repaired later. Um, And that's just just part of the gig, part of being human. So um, for sure, to uh, give yourself some compassion for mm-hmm. that, allow yourself to be in process. I mean, we, we've never done this before, right? We've, we've become parents sort of out of the blue. It's like, wow, I was just getting used to being an adult, and right. now all of a sudden I'm raising, raising to become one. Yeah, it's like I actually have no idea how to do this. Right. 
I remember in, uh, for those of us who went to therapy school to become therapists, uh-huh. some expert, I don't remember who it was, but they coined the phrase good enough mothering. Yes. And it's not, you know, when you talk about taking somebody through these different stages of development from infancy all the way to adulthood, we want to give them good enough fathering, good enough mothering, mm-hmm. uh, not perfect. Not perfect. And the pressure to be perfect will probably actually make us worse parents. Yes. <laughs> and so if we can embrace yes. good enough. Good enough. And I don't know that this is true, Charlie, but I often, when someone says to me, I think I'm a terrible mother, I'm like, you're probably right in the pocket, right? (laughs) That probably means you're a good mother. That probably means you're really, you're really aware of how hard this is. And you're really aware that you're making mistakes. I'm like, that actually feels very relieving to me to hear someone say, I think I'm a terrible mother. I'm like, unless you're about to tell me some heinous things. Right. I'm going to probably hear you talk about normal mother struggles. And um, I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to say, this is, this is what it's like. You're hanging in there. You're doing the best you can. And that's all there is that you can do. Nice. Yeah, for sure. So, Elaine, if we, um, you know, I think that's good to kind of normalize. It's, it, it's not about being great. And like you just said, it's not about... Um, thinking you're great necessarily either it's mm-hmm. just about doing what you can do to be fiercely loving towards those kids and right. do the best you can but if we start diving into kind of the nitty-gritty what would you say is the first thing uh you would mm. you would teach or tell parents about uh effective parenting yeah i i think start with educating yourself about child development so whatever stage your child is at google that one-year-olds what can one-year-olds do what can they not do Mm -hmm. what about five-year-olds where are they at cognitively where are they at in terms of what they can do with their bodies like what can your child do at each stage of life i think one of the common mistakes that we make as parents is we we think our kids are more capable than they are so we expect them to do or think or feel or have the capacity to navigate things that they really are not developmentally able to do. And so reading these things in black and white can be super validating and super normalizing. Like, oh, that's why they do that. They actually don't understand, right? right? Like, I think that's super helpful uh, to know about your child at each stage so that you're parenting from a realistic perspective. Exactly. Realistic expectations, sounds yes. like. Yes, yes. I remember, uh, I can't remember what age it is that kids actually understand the concept of sharing. It's around mm. like three or 67. four. 67, I think it's... Yeah, 67, that sounds right. <laughs> um, but the idea that like, you know, what we want to do is label kids selfish who are two yes. years old yes. who don't want to share. Right. But they don't have the concept in their brain development to understand right. that something can be mine and you can use it. Yes. It's either mine or it's yours. Yes. And so when we shame kids for being selfish because they don't know how to share, it's like mm-hmm. the brain can't even understand that concept. And that doesn't mean that once in a while that age group won't hand you something of theirs because mm-hmm. they think it's really interesting for you to hold their thing. Right. But it's not... They're not doing it to like compassionately share with you. It's like a different... <laughs> They're like, look at my truck. It's yeah. super cool. Now you hold it. Now give it back. Yeah. But, like, but if you walked out of the room with the truck, they'd be in tears. Freak out. Right? right. Exactly. Right. And, and I think another age group, like 12 and 13 year olds can feel so mature. Yes. One moment. Yes. And then, and then not. Feel like mm-hmm. little kids the next moment. And so right. the expectations for them are 
Yes. You have to be loose. Yes. And another misconception I think that that I often hear is people talking about babies as manipulative. Um, yes. That they're crying to get attention. It's like, yeah, they're hungry. They have a dirty diaper. They're scared. They're right. lonely. They need stimulation. Um, babies are crying because they need you. Right. Um, and so, you know, some of the language that we pass around between each other is super unproductive. Because super like, unproductive. a baby does not have the cognitive ability to create, to to be manipulative. Well, and something I think about too, and again, I'm not a parent, but just understanding the nervous system and how trauma works. You know, human beings are mammals and we're the only species of mammal that would question our uh, young children's motives. Mm. There, there isn't another mammal that goes like, do you think he's crying to screw me? Or do you think he's <laughs> crying for my attention? They just pick right. up the kid. Like right. there's this instinctive response to all, every other species of mammal, but our brains get in the way oftentimes. And we start like, nah, you're just yeah. crying because you want to power up on me and dominate me. Right. As if like a six month old can like think through that logical sequence right. to, to to dominate a right. parent, the brain is the brain is just not developed enough no, to it's... to accomplish that complicated task. In fact, the brain doesn't finish developing to, until about twenty five or so. So, if you think about it that way, it's like like how much brain power is actually in that six month old or two year old? Right. right. And so, if we can view our kids as often, I would say a screen for either my projections, so like maybe. I want to power up and dominate people, so I assume and project into my little one that that's what they're doing. Or maybe I'm displacing something from, like, my parents, like, well, my my mom or my dad or my grandma or something wanted to power up on people. Right. But my baby doesn't. No, my baby doesn't know how to do that. And just to watch how we uh, kind of put stuff on them that's not really theirs. Yeah. Yeah. So read about child development, every stage, um, read about that and help yourself out. It, it will just help you sort of ease your mind about um, your expectations nice. and, and, and you'll make better parenting decisions if you have a clearer picture of what your child is actually capable of. Great. So point number one, understand development. And, mm-hmm. and parent from the right developmental stage. Right. What would be another thing you would say is uh, kind of next in terms of what parents need to understand or to kind yeah. of succeed in this territory? I think being aware that kids are highly intuitive. So uh, we're born like very awake to all of our senses. Um, and then over the course of our life, if we're parented by folks who don't want us to feel much because that gets in the way of you know, them getting through their day, uh, we learn to shut a lot of that down. But kids come out like very alive and awake mm. and they can feel everything that's going on. So even babies can feel when there's tension in a room. And certainly a five-year-old can feel when you're angry or frustrated or super sad, right? So um, being aware that they can feel what's going on. I think sometimes uh, will parents will say, my kids don't know what's happening, we're going through a divorce and my kids don't know what's happening. Actually, there's very little chance they are not very aware. They may not understand what's happening, but they're very aware that something really terrible is going on. And so um, we have to find ways to deal with 
those realities is that our kids are picking up what's happening around them. They may not have words for that. They may not understand what, why it's going on, but they can feel your sadness, your anger, your fear, your frustration, your loneliness, and they worry about it. Right. And I think that, you know, again, our defense mechanisms are often going to want to tell us things about our kids that aren't true, such as they're not noticing. Mm-hmm. That's my denial. Right. That's right. I. That's actually my need for them not to notice. Yes. But they are noticing. And so we want to figure out, well, what we, yeah. what we really want to do is not pretend or deny that fact because it will lower our anxiety. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're saying is figure out what are we going to do with all these feelings? Yes. Because yes. pretending our kids aren't feeling them isn't the answer. Right. And the, the other bad news is that kids often personalize everything. So mommy's mad equals I am bad. Right. That's the way a small child's brain works. Um, and so uh, if, if you're angry at your spouse, a child may not know you're actually angry at your spouse. They may just feel that you're angry and they're assuming that anger is about them. Right. So since we have to be aware that they're they're taking everything on as if it's theirs. And so we have to keep creating conversations that say, hey, I know I know I'm irritable today. I'm actually real mad at daddy. I'm not mad at you. Daddy and I are going to talk about it and we'll work it out. But right now I'm just frustrated with daddy and I'm finding it hard to be sweet to you. I'm very sorry. Right. Right? And so, again, what else would you say? Because I think that's, you know, naming what you're feeling and and creating an environment where we can actually talk about feelings and and talk about uh, what the parents are feeling and, and even express those feelings in appropriate ways sounds like that's one way to deal with how intuitive the, our kids are. Mm-hmm. And so what else can parents do since what we're saying is kids are feeling it anyway. Right. So if, if we have these little ones who are so intuitive and picking up all this energy and all this emotional stuff, how do we help them? Yeah. How do we help them process? What else yeah. can parents do? Well, I think one, one of the things we want to be in the habit of doing is helping kids label their own feelings. So... When they're falling apart, oh, you're really frustrated. Oh, you're really sad. You know, giving words to children, especially when they're small, so that they can, they have a handle. They're like, oh, this is me being sad. This is what sad looks like and feels like. Oh, your brother took your toy away from you, so you're real mad. Sure, sure. It's hard when someone takes your toy away, Mm -hmm. right? And I think sometimes people are afraid that if I validate my child's feeling, I am also validating or affirming or reinforcing their behavior. Those are two different things. I can say to my child, I get it. Your brother took your toy. You're so mad. Sure, you're so mad. Here's what we do when we're mad, right? We don't hit. We don't scream. We don't say terrible things. Right. We, here's, here's some other things we do. So you first you label the feeling and then you give them options. Here's what we can do when we have that feeling. Right. I think too, as, um, I think it, it seems to help kids the most from what I've seen among my friends who are all, uh, uh on this journey is to, and family as well, is to, um, what you're saying in terms of naming what the, what your child is 
is is experiencing and providing a mirror on your facial expression mm, that matches that like mm-hmm. so when you say like oh you're mad like you can show them like a little bit of what mad looks like yeah, or oh great. you're sad and so you reflect a compassionate face to reflect their sadness inaccurate mirrors are very disorienting for kids and so when somebody like comes in and smiles at you and says oh you're mad it's like, uh, yeah. I am, but your facial expression isn't mirroring my anger back to me. And right. it's through that those mirror neurons in the brain that we start mm-hmm. to understand uh, what feelings are and, and, and how they look and how they feel. And that inaccurate mirroring can be pretty, yes. pretty unhelpful. Yeah, I think we have a lot of strategies that are about trying to talk kids out of feelings. So like... A child falls and hurts themselves, and what do you hear the adult say? Oh, you're fine, you're fine. Brush you're okay, it off. you're okay, you're okay, yeah. <laughs> right? Well, actually, when's the last time you fell? Did you feel fine afterwards? No, you did ter- not. You felt terrible. <laughs> Stupid. And what you needed was someone to get, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, your leg is bleeding. Right. Let me take care of that for you. Which, again, so much of our parenting comes back to us. So, yes. like, I'm not okay with the feelings. I'm not okay with my kid being hurt. I'm not yes. okay with their big reaction. So, I need to keep them inhibited and sort of right. suppressed a little bit because right. it overwhelms me. Yeah. And what I'm really saying, like you said, is please be fine. <laughs> like, yes. I don't have the energy for you not to be fine. Right. So please be fine. Yeah. Because I'm nursing the baby and I'm right. trying to get dinner on the table and, you know, it's it's a lot of work. And so it is we understand why parents want to do this because it, it's like we're just trying to get through our day right. as, you know, without losing our minds. And so to have to stop and say, oh, I see you got hurt, I see you're having a hard time. It takes extra energy to do that. The thing to remember, though, is if you're not doing that, you're actually usually creating more behavioral problems Mm. because the child knows mommy doesn't understand what's happening to me and I have to find other ways to communicate I'm not doing very well. And so they're going to start whacking the baby sister. They're going to start throwing stuff around. They're going to find some way to get your attention because negative attention is better than no attention at all. Right, so we're actually doing ourselves a favor, even though it feels in the moment like, oh my gosh, this is so yes. much work. Mm-hmm. We're doing ourselves a favor by saying, I see what's happening. It matters to me. It's okay. I'm right here for you. That helps the child calm down and move on to the next thing. Right, which I think is like, the temptation is to pivot right to doing something that will change their emotion. Mm-hmm. But it sounds mm-hmm. like you're saying, if you can sort of validate, be with them, uh, mirror their experience mm-hmm. that might sort of more naturally bring their emotions to a different place yes. rather than sort of abruptly trying to distract them right. or just get them out of their experience. Right. That's uh, so good. And of course, this is not something you can do every minute of the day. No. So there are going to be lots of times when you're in Target, I'm going to give you goldfish so that you'll just be quiet so I can get the toilet paper and the 700 other things I need because 20 people are coming over for dinner. Right. <laughs> right? Like there are just there are just those realities to deal with. But when we can, can we sit down? Can we take a moment? Can we say, I see what you're feeling. It matters to me. I'm going to help you label that. I'm going to let you see it on my face that I understand. Mm. And I'm going to show you the way in terms of emotional development. What it looks like to be an emotionally healthy person means I know what I'm feeling and I know how to express it appropriately. And that's part of my job as a parent. It's great. Yes. Unless I'm about to kill somebody, then goldfish all day long. Goldfish all day long, (laughs) which is also good to say there's a place for that. Yes. When you're not doing well. Right. 
yeah, some sometimes you can only do the bare minimum. And I've certainly been in that place a million times. I know what that feels like to be like, mm. I know what I should be doing right now. But I think if I try to do it, I'm just going to fall down and sob. And I I have to get my kid to school right now. Right. Right. Yeah. I think the phrase nearest port in a storm. Like when there's a hurricane, yes. we're not super worried <laughs> about where you dock the boat. Just try to land somewhere. Yes. Yes. Um, so lots of compassion, right? Yeah. Lots of compassion for yourself and um, doing doing it when you can. Right. Well, okay. So we have um, we have number one again that the, that it's good for parents to parent from the developmental stage. Number two, we want to remember our kids are super intuitive, so we have to we have to kind of teach them and help them with their feelings. Right. What would be the uh, kind of third thing you would uh, tell tell uh, either your clients or your friends or family about? Yeah. About how to deal with their kids. Yeah, I mean, I, I would encourage uh, to remember that kids are feeling all the same things we are. So can you imagine what it's like to be a little person without words, without coping strategy, without impulse control, and to feel rage, mm. to feel deep loneliness, to feel terrified, right? Mm. Like they experience all the same things that we do. Right. But they have way less in terms of skill um, and capacity to deal with them. And so I think it's it's important to just remember my kid is a little person who has the same kind of emotional experiences I have. And so without any of the tools, without any of the tools. So how can I begin to offer tools? Yeah. Like that's part of my job. Oftentimes people say when kids are fighting with each other, they'll say, um, oh, just let them work it out. And I get that. And at the same time, a three-year-old doesn't have tools. So their best shot is going to be to whack somebody. Like that's that's what they've got online. It's like when I need something, right? <laughs> the only thing I can think to do is whack that person to get it back. Oh, I, my, me and my brother growing up, you know, working out meant him pinning me down and pretending he's yes. gonna spit on me for twenty minutes. And it's just <laughs> yes. like that's, just wasn't, that's not yes. that's not. Uh, that's not productive conflict right. uh, negotiation. Right. So we need <laughs> we need our parents to teach us, like, what can you do when you want a toy back? Right. What can you do? When you're really hungry and it's not dinner time, what can you do? When somebody hurts your feelings at school, what can you do? Right. When you feel invalidated, criticized, yes. rejected. Yes. Because w- adults don't even know what to do half the time, right? Aren't we always asking each other, it's like, this terrible thing happened, I don't know what to do, <laughs> right? right? Like, we all, especially when the feelings are intense, we're way less able to think our way through things. And so we need people around us who can say, hey, here's an option. Let's try this and see how you feel. So you're really angry. What if we walk outside and we like stomp around? Like, let's let's just stomp really loud around the house. Or let's go in the bedroom and like, let's take our pillows and let's yell in our pillows as loud as we can, right? Mm-hmm. So we're saying what we can't do is whack each other and call each other names. So what we can do is this. We can stomp. We can yell in our pillows. We can, you know, whatever whatever works in your family. But having a plan for when my child's angry, when my child's real sad, um, what are the things that I'm going to offer for my child right. um, so that they're develop- developing some coping strategies? I remember my um, my old spiritual director used to tell parents, like, if there was one skill that I would teach your little people, it would be how to grieve. Hmm, like, if you can teach good. them how to embrace 
You won't get what you want in life. Yes. And there is a process where you can, you can feel your anger and you can feel your sadness and you can talk about what's going on. And then you will feel better and you can actually learn to let go and move through life, not always getting what you want, yeah. but also not feeling miserable because you didn't get what you want. Right. And like the, just the healthy grieving process is a tool. It's a skill that kids need to learn because they're not going to get... Uh, they're not always going to be invited to the birthday parties mm-hmm. and they're not going to get the gifts they want for Christmas and they're not going to be listened to by their sibling and mom and dad aren't always going to be perfectly attuned. Right, and right. sometimes grandma and grandpa do have to go back home and, you know, I mean, there's yes. just all these losses all the and things that they don't like. Yeah. And so how do we help them? Like, yeah, that's, that's A, like you said, it's normal you feel that way. And then B, here's what you do with it. Mm-hmm. Which I also think, what you were saying before, is... Do we as adults know how to grieve? Yeah. And really walk through our own right. not getting what we want. Right. What would you have wanted your parents to say to you around? Like, what would have been helpful to you in teaching you how to grieve as a kid? Yeah, I think to say, like, um, one, to normalize, like, and there was times when uh, my parents did a really good job. I remember my, after I didn't make the basketball team my junior year in high school, my dad, like, he sat down with me and he's like, that's just really hard. Like, mm. that's not, I, I still remember that conversation because so it, it was validating and mm-hmm. it was um, it validated that this was hard it validated that I really wanted something and didn't get it yeah. it validated that that's not easy so I think that's a big part of it I think having parents say like hey just so you know like when something like this happens a lot of feelings are normal you might yeah. feel scared right now you might feel sad you might feel angry and all of those things would be totally normal like, mm-hmm. grief can feel like a roller coaster um, and to be told probably the best thing you can do is is keep talking about it like, yeah like tell tell somebody tell, yeah. and, and i'm okay with whatever you're feeling yeah you know, that, you're, so great it's not going to change the outcome right but it's going to make you feel better about the outcome yeah and that's what we want yeah we don't we don't kids don't have to get what they want all the time they just mm-hmm. have to learn how to get to acceptance mm-hmm. i think that's what we all need right right I mean, right i just want to be able to accept i can't have what i want yeah i don't need what i want yeah, it sounds like kids kids need exactly the same things adult, adults need when we're having right. big feelings, right? They need validation. They need somebody who can look at them and say, I see, I see you. I understand what you're feeling, and it makes sense. Right. And same I, stuff. Totally. And I think um, the younger they are, probably the more they need physical touch and things mm-hmm. like that as well. Mm-hmm. That, that's just going to communicate. Um, it's going to communicate validation uh, yeah. to rub their back. Right. With a four-year-old, more than saying, "I totally get why you're so angry." You know, <laughs> yeah. that's helpful too. Yeah, but, um, yeah, it's good. Great. So, Elena, if we're we're trying to normalize our kids' feelings first, and then we're trying to give them tools, mm-hmm. um, but it still can be really hard on parents when our kids are having big reactions, especially towards the parents, right? Yes. And it's easy to get sort of lost in that big reaction. So, yeah. anything that you would kind of say. Uh, can be helpful for parents to kind of yeah, practice or do when they're feeling kind of lost in the big feelings. Right, right. Yeah, I think I think um, I have to I have to do a lot. If I'm a parent, I have to do a lot of separating myself from my child's behavior. Right. Mm. Like, I think uh, most of us are pretty prone to like uh, their their behavior. I heard somebody just say this yesterday. Maybe on a TV show. I don't remember. Uh, about decorating. <laughs> about decorating, <laughs> which is what I'm usually doing. Um, that these chi- these children are a reflection of us. And, mm. 
yes and no, right? Like, I think it's really important to, when our when our kids are losing it, especially when they're losing it in public, in any kind of way, right? Meltdown. They're behaving badly on a team. They're um, melting down on, on the floor at Target, whatever they're doing, because they're getting overwhelmed for something that's going on with them. It's like, we have to, we have to separate their behavior from our identity. So like, this is inevitable. Our kids are going to do crazy stuff. When they feel big feelings. When they feel big feelings. Things are going to get ugly and inconvenient and potentially real embarrassing, right? Yeah. So, okay, this is inevitable. This happens to all of us. You know, like, uh, what's so lovely is, like, if you're if you're out in public and another parent sees, you know, your child falling apart, it's so lovely when that parent goes, I know, it's so hard, right? Instead of, you know, giving you the glare of, like, why can't you get your kid yes. under control, right? That's so not helpful and such a projection, right? Mm. So... Um, can I separate? Can I assume this is going to be inevitable, that things are going to go sideways? Can I separate their behavior from my identity as a parent? And so that means not going aware with it. Like if I'm going to separate my identity from my, my child's behavior, that means I have to really watch out for what kind of thoughts. What... Yes. Yeah, because if I if I believe that my child's behavior means I'm either a good or a bad person, I'm trying hard enough or I'm not trying hard enough. You know, if, if I'm going to feel shame right. when my child is falling apart, I'm going to feel shame a lot. I'm not doing it enough. I'm not doing it right. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not valuable enough. Yep. You know, whatever my own stuff is, is going to get triggered if I really expect my children to make me feel better about myself. Right. Right. And I think it can be good for parents to just name their fears and say... I am afraid yeah. this means I'm a bad mom. Yeah. I'm afraid it means I don't know what I'm doing. I'm afraid people are going to look down on me. Right. But that doesn't mean I have to shame myself or my kid. It, there's things I can do to process that. Right. I can read a book. I can talk to friends. I can get it normalized by somebody mm-hmm. who's going to say, like Elaine, who will say, no, it doesn't mean anything about you. Right. It means you're a mom. It means you have kids. It means life happens. Right. Right. So you need people in your life who know how to validate each other like that, who can say, yeah, guess what I did yesterday? (laughs) Like you really, sometimes uh, when a a parent is saying, uh, is talking about that with me, I'll say, yeah, there were days I really thought about selling my kids to the gypsies, right? Like you you get a little crazy. You start thinking about like, how can I get out of the intensity of this experience? Because I'm failing at it. I'm clearly failing at it so badly, right? right? So um, how how can I continue to work on separating my child's behavior from my identity and understanding that this is another human being and they're, they're doing their own thing. They're being their own thing. And my job is to guide that and do the best I can. But it's going to go sideways all kinds of time. Right. Right. I mean, I, I remember um, being at True Foods with some of our friends, this restaurant in San Diego we like a lot. And uh, their little, I think he was three at that time. And they had sort of embraced that he's just full of power and energy. <laughs> and um, we think he's an eight on the Enneagram for those of oh, you that don't understand that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so he would, while we're eating, he would wander <laughs> off inevitably towards a different blonde women in the restaurant, which was also interesting. But, yeah. Uh, was his pr- mom blonde? Pr- no. No. That was maybe why they were fascinating, because yeah. they looked different. Yeah. But then um, finally, you know, they were like, okay, you know, you can't do that anymore. <clears throat> right. You just sit here and eat. 
and he had a little personal pizza, and he raised both hands and slammed it into the pizza, just wow. like shooting sauce and grease <laughs> everywhere, just like exploded Dang. the pizza into like into into everybody. Yeah. But they were just like, yeah, he's yeah. three. Like they didn't. There was no shame. They didn't feel Good bad. For them. They kind of just embraced like that's going to happen at three. Yeah, three-year-olds do and that. So, right. And they uh-huh. actually, you know, I think the mom started laughing because that's that stuff always, <laughs> that's like, so, it was so typical. But, um, you know, and, and they were still offering discipline and structure. It wasn't just right. lawlessness. I'm not, right. I'm not saying that. But it wasn't no. taking it so seriously. Yes. And I think that just helps help the other kids that they had uh, calm down as well. So great. Not feel so anxiety. Yeah, it sounds like the other thing that they're doing is separating their child's behavior from their child's identity. Right. Right. I think that's another piece that we can start, you know, if my child does this sort of thing a lot, this means something about them. Like this is an out of cold, an out of control kid. This is a strong willed child. This is a arrogant child. This is a proud child. Right. It's like, right. This is just a kid who's making some bad decisions because they're real hungry or their tummy hurts or, right. or their feelings got hurt at school earlier today. It's they have a million things going on um, that affect their moods and their ways of behaving. And so you're going to see that behavior. Right. And we have to keep reminding ourselves that something's going on with our kid. When the behavior gets real ugly, what's going on with our kid? Where yeah. Why are they making those kind of choices? It's great. It's great. Yes. And I mean, tiredness, hunger. I mean, I know... I've heard a lot of parents talk about just just the basics being so yeah important yeah in terms of why they might be reacting yeah yeah I think it's uh, sort of knowing your kid like what does your kid look like when they get hungry oh they they start whacking everybody they just start running around the house causing trouble it's like oh they're actually hungry or what do they look like when they're bored right these are they usually have some predictable patterns like nice. when you get bored you start jumping around the house and throwing things like okay <laughs> so let's get you outside go jump on the trampoline for half an hour and then we'll see how you're doing right so um, all that stuff is important to recognize that stuff's going on with them they're not actually just doing stuff to drive us crazy nice it's good um, okay and what would be some things uh, kind of to transition as we before we wrap up in, in terms of just some some other things that might be helpful for like being with um, you know we're talking a lot about kids having big feelings we're talking about giving them tools to process mm-hmm. but in terms of just like from the um, from a parent's perspective yeah. uh, other things that the parents can do or that might be important for um, kind of like how 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 parents can be with their kids well yeah uh, in these places yeah uh, what's what's important yeah i think i think you want to part of teaching kids about what being emotionally healthy looks like is acknowledging when things go sideways so um i was real overwhelmed this morning and so i was snapping at you guys i'm really sorry i was hoping to get a promotion at work yesterday and i didn't get it so i'm feeling my feelings were hurt you know, like you can mm-hmm. talk about it in their language. My feelings were hurt. I didn't get picked for something at work. And I'm real sad about mm. that. And so I think I was being snappy at you guys because my feelings were hurt at, at work. Mm-hmm. Um, kids always know when something's going on with right. us. They always know when things aren't fair. Mm. They, uh, they know intuitively when things are too big 
right? right? Like your feelings are too big. You're coming at me like too loud. Yeah. So they already know that intuitively. They may not have words for that, but they, especially as they get older, they're like, yeah, you lost your mind and that was not about me. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. They get wise. So it's just, it's just super helpful to just own it. It's like apologize. There's right. going to be lots of days when you need to apologize about something. And I think parents are sometimes afraid that my kids won't respect me or they won't listen to me if I apologize. And I would argue that the exact opposite is true. Mm. That uh, when when you go sideways, as you will, because it's really hard, when you own that, your child, your child feels the sense of safety of like, this is a this my parent really sees me my parent is fair to me my parent is kind to me hmm. i can trust them and so they're actually going to uh, that increases the attachment makes the attachment more secure because they're learning mommy mommy is on top of herself she right. knows what's going on with herself she's going to be responsible for that and i i'm learning how to do that by watching mommy nice and elaine if you had to say um, cause I think some kids are going to be, some kids are going to go, like you said, oh yeah, like mommy's sad or angry. I saw yeah. that. That makes sense. Yeah. What would you say for parents who have a more like sensitive kid who might take mm. that, take on mom or dad's yeah. feelings, like become responsible for them? Oh gosh. Like, how yeah. do you help the kid? How do you communicate in a way that's like, yes, I'm feeling this, but no, you yeah. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there are lots of things that happen over the course of raising a child. You know, if you're doing that for 20 years, there's going to be endless things that happen in the family. Maybe there's a divorce or an illness or um, financial problems or, you mm-hmm. know, there's lots of things that happen that are super stressful for parents that don't have anything to do with kids. And so... Um, I, I don't know exactly how much you decide to tell a child about what the problems are, right? That's obviously tricky and depends on their age and their mm-hmm. level of awareness. But um, to say, you know, mommy's going through some things and um, I'm having a hard time um, and I am getting help. There you go. I'm going yeah. to see a therapist. I'm talking to our friends. Talking to I'm daddy. talking to daddy about this. Um, I don't want you to worry about this. I I just know that you can feel it. I know that I can see you worrying about me, and I just want you to know I'm taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. But I might be sad for a little while, but it's okay. I can be sad and also be okay at the same time. Mm-hmm. I can be worried about something and also be okay at the same time. You don't have to worry about me. Yeah, it's almost like in the same way that when you feel sad and mommy comforts you and you feel better, mm-hmm. when I feel sad, people comfort me and I feel so better. So great. So great. Yeah, I have a friend who who um, says I'm I'm going to I'm going to therapy because I need some support, and I'm taking you guys to therapy because I think you guys need support. We're going through a hard thing together right now, and it's important that we all get the support that we need. Nice. So um, yeah, so being careful not to tell them too much because we also don't want to burden our kids unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. And again, how you nuance that—that's right. complicated and tricky, but. Um, when it's when our kids are feeling it, it's best to just say, I, I, I know that you can feel it. I know that you can see I'm worried. I know you saw me right. crying. and um, But just know that I, I have a plan for that. It's, it's interesting because I think, you know, when I think about, again, back to trauma and like the nervous system, it's like we, we, we don't want our kids to be 
to be feeling everything that's going on, and but since no one's talking about it, it makes it worse and more intense. Mm-hmm. It's like I can, I, I can feel everyone's not doing well, but all the inhibition, all the like lack of communication is creating overwhelm because yeah. we're not airing it out. Right. And yet, if you give me too much information, well, now I'm also overwhelmed because yes. now I'm like burdened by the intensity right. of, of what's going on. And so somewhere in there is this sweet spot of like, here's enough information so you can feel aware, mm-hmm. but not too much that you feel like you're like responsible or mm-hmm. it's hopeless or something. Mm-hmm. And again, like you said, I don't know where the nuance there it's different in different circumstances right. it's different for different kids but yeah. i think if our bullseye is like enough information yeah so that you can calm down and kind of know what's going on yeah and telling kids you can ask questions if yeah. you're wondering about like mommy and daddy's divorce or mommy's health or you know if you're worrying about those things i want you to come and ask me and i'll do the best i can to tell you the things that you know are going to be helpful to you um but letting them have space to ask and then also letting them like, yeah, okay, now now I have enough information. Now I want to go play outside. Right. Right. Sort of reading. Okay. That's all they needed was a little piece of information. Now oh, I they're like ready that. to go. Because what you're basically saying is like start with a little bit. And yes. if they're satisfied, yeah. great. If yeah. they're not satisfied, give them a little more. Yeah. And at some point in there, the system, they'll they'll let you know. Okay, yeah. that's good. Great. Yeah. I'm going to go play some basketball. Right. Great. Okay. That was <laughs> enough for one. you. Yeah. Okay. Well, what else can parents do? What else is, is important oh. to, again, being with um, being with kids well yeah. as they're going through stuff? Um, two last things. Eye contact and physical touch. Mm. Um, one of the things that's real hard to do is give your kids enough eye contact because they want you to be literally staring at them all the time until they became become teenagers and then they don't want you to look at them at all. But <laughs> when they're little, they really need, as often as you can, obviously you can't do this as often as they'll want it, but as often as you can to be like eyeball to eyeball, what's going on? You wanted to show me that. Oh, I'd love to see your dance. Oh my gosh, that was spectacular, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's easy when we're living really busy lives to be like later, 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 or I can't, I can't, I can't. Um, But you're actually going to cut down the amount of attention they're going to be grabbing for if you can just give them a few minutes of like eyeball to eyeball. I'm watching you. I'm seeing you. I saw you read that book. So great. I saw you do your dance. I looked at your drawing, right? Mm. Giving them that as often as you can. And again, it'll never be enough for them. But when you can, just give them that that real special um, um, eye contact. Great. Um, and physical touch is the other thing. Um, I think it's important never underestimate the power of cuddling. Um, for both of you, honestly, like I think there are a lot of ways in which holding, snuggling, um, and all of that has saved me a million times, right? Mm. Like this child is driving me crazy. So I'm just going to snuggle with them a little bit because that's going to calm my nervous system down and it's going to calm their nervous system down. So, um, and some of us have aversions to physical touch because of abuse in our histories or, Mm. you know, violation or whatever, um, that can be activating for some of us and we might need some help 
processing that out, but um, holding hands, stroking their arms, scratching their back or their head, um, all of these things, just sitting next to them, all these things, even for adolescents can be super important. Um, just that physical touch that kids can only get from their parents. It's the, it's the only relationship as they get older, that's one way, right? Like I'm giving you physical touch for you, right? Right, Because I wanna make sure you feel loved and right. wanted and safe. It's great. Any final thoughts for the parents out there? Gosh, well, this thought about cats and dogs, which sounds completely irrelevant, but uh, when kids are little, they're a lot like dogs. They can't get enough of you. They got to be with you all the time. They're super excited every time they see you. And uh, there's just not enough. There's not enough of you for them. Um, and that's, that can be really hard. It can be lovely and it can be really hard. Mm. But then junior high or so, they start becoming cats. And then they get aloof and moody and I flighty. Want, flighty <laughs> and I want your attention right now. But if you try to hold on to me, I'm going to scratch you. You know, so we're, we're having to constantly adjust to like, what's going on with my kid? What do they need right now? And again, it's like super impossible to do it right all the time. But that idea of like, I'm trying to watch my child. I'm trying to pay attention to what developmental stage they're in. Mm. Trying to be aware of like, am I giving them some information about their feelings, about my feelings? Am I validating? Am I teaching them how to do that? Am I touching them? Am I looking at them? And am I trying to read them? Because they're going to be changing constantly. So yeah. like, I'm trying to just stay i'm trying trying to keep up with them is what i'm trying to do what they need now and it's no joke it's a real hard job Mm. and i think we just want to say to all the parents and especially the moms since it's mom's day coming up you're killing it you're really doing it yep and keep going keep going it's great thanks elaine you bet thanks for listening to the soul care house podcast we'd love to hear from you any questions or comments you have If there are topics you'd like us to address, let us know. Feel free to contact me at elaine at soulcarehouse.com. If you're interested in knowing more about what we do here at Soul Care, our website is soulcarehouse.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle there is soulcarehouseandbarn. Talk to you soon.